0: Hey everyone, it's John Kerwin here and I'm really excited as this is my podcast called Open Minded. This podcast is interviewing inspirational people from all walks of life. You know, I want to give you the real stuff that's happening every day in the minds of these leaders, how they stay well in high pressure roles, how they build resilience in themselves, how they look after their people and how can you invest in yourself and your people to do mental well-being well. So this is JK, and this is Open Minded, so let's go. Well, a real pleasure for me to have Russ Harris with me today. I've just finished reading one of his books, The Confidence Gap, so I'm super excited to talk about ACT and to hear more about the brand new edition of Happiness Trap that's just been re-released, so that is on my reading list, so I'm excited about that. Um, but before we dig into that, a little bit about Russ. He's a world-renowned trainer of acceptance and commitment therapy. And if you read The Confidence Gap or any of his books, I don't know why I don't know more about this, but I've already started putting some, uh, some of the stuff into practice. For example, when I was really anxious through lockdown, I am not my emotions, I am my values. But anyway, we'll get to that shortly. Since 2005, Russ has run over 700 two-day workshops and provided ACT training for almost 50,000 health professionals. He has authored four ACT-based self-help books, The Happiness Trap, The Reality Slap, The Confidence Gap, and ACT with Love. His best-known book, The Happiness Trap, has showed over 1 million copies worldwide with translations into 30 languages. So now you know why I'm so excited to have Uh, rushed with me and mate when I was incredibly unwell um, with my depression my psychiatrist told me to do some cognitive behavior therapy and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life it was like frying my brain but uh, when I started reading your book and started thinking about ACT I mean how did you discover ACT and can you tell me a little bit about exactly what it is
1: yeah, sure. Well, thanks for inviting me on the show. Um, so, acceptance and commitment therapy. Actually, it was created by a, a professor of psychology in the USA, Professor Stephen Hayes at the University of Reno, Nevada. And um, Steve's very big on calling it ACT, not ACT. If you call it, Sorry, Dave. I'm not. I'm, Sorry, I'm okay Steve. with it. Sorry, brother. <laughs> I'm all right with it, but if you call it ACT within earshot of Steve, he'll start kind of twitching and convulsing. <laughs> at least you of... put some of his own practices on. And... So, okay, <laughs> but, I mean, just
0: want me it, actually. yeah, I got it. Uh,
1: well, ACT's a good name for it because at its core, it's about taking action, you know, but it, it's not just about any old action. Firstly, it's about action that's guided by your values, kind of your heart's deepest desires for who you want to be, what you want to stand for, how you want to treat yourself and others. And so it's translating those values into actions, and it's also about mindful action—action action that's done uh, focused on what you're doing, open to your experience, engaged in what you're doing. Uh, so um, it's—it's uh, it, kind of—it's got a lot. It's, it's like a fellow traveller to CBT, but they go in, in slightly different directions. Um, so there's no, for example, challenging your thoughts or disputing your thoughts in ACT. We just kind of notice those difficult thoughts showing up and you learn how to kind of take the power, take the impact out of them without getting carried away with them uh, and without fighting them either.
0: One, one, of, the, one of the things that... Um, I wouldn't say it's upset me because not a lot upsets me. One thing that intrigues me is a lot of really good... Um, sort of Eastern practices for chilling out. So, at Mentir, uh we talk about the six pillars of well-being. I have a daily mental health plan. I started it because I was incredibly unwell, but when I tried meditation or when I tried mindfulness, it was like it was like this. Oh, I'll do a six weeks course and then you get a certificate, you know. And it seems like we've we've translated some of these beautiful things and made them. I mean, do you know what mindfulness is? Because I don't really know what it is except I live it. I, I think it's, a, I, I don't think you, it's a way of life, not a thing, you know?
1: <laughs> well, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of interesting points you've raised there, which is one that um, people think of mindfulness as a meditation practice. And certainly in the ACT approach, we're, we're pragmatists. We know that most people are not going to meditate. They, they find it boring or difficult or tedious. Even if they do meditate, they usually give it up pretty quickly. So um, so meditation is you know, the good news is just one way amongst hundreds of learning how to be more mindful and developing your mindfulness skills. Um, and so the, uh, you know, defining what mindfulness is, I would define it as a, a set of psychological skills for effective living. And and all of these skills have a a central component, which is about uh, paying attention with openness, curiosity and flexibility. So you're you're paying attention, you're open to what you're doing. If there's difficult thoughts and feelings showing up, you can make room for them. You don't have to get carried away by them or fight with them. Uh, You're curious, even if what's showing up in the present moment is very difficult or challenging. There's a kind of sense of curiosity about it that goes with that openness. And it's flexible attention so like i'm chatting to you right now and all my attention's focused on you as we're recording this but if i suddenly smell smoke coming from the kitchen i want to shift my attention to oh what's that you know it's not kind of, it's not rigid inflexible attention if you want an example of rigid inflexible attention think of a 13 year old boy playing xbox glued to the screen Burglars could come into his house, steal everything. He wouldn't notice. It's not that. It's a. It's a very flexible, open, curious attention. And I, I agree with you. It's about It's a way of living. It's like when I'm with my uh, loved ones, I want to be present with my loved ones. When I'm watching a movie, I want to be absorbed in the movie. When I'm eating a meal, I want to be really savoring that food.
0: You know, one of the one of the saddest things for me is we're living in two pandemics. You know, one's called COVID. The other one. It's called the suicide rate around the world. And one of the interesting things when I was doing some research um, on, on especially what you're talking about an ACT. And one thing that really uh, appealed to me was um, not really believing in anxiety disorders. You have people who come to you and say, you know, I've got an anxiety disorder. You're already labeled. And I think one of the things in mental health that I was very scared of was being labeled with something. Um, so you know, the, the impact of not being your thoughts, one of the things I took out of your book that I've used, like I said at the top, was, you know, I'm not my emotions, I'm my values. So yeah. t- tell me what you're seeing in the world right now and what would be a couple of simple things if you're listening to this podcast, you're feeling anxious because of the shit that's going on all around us at the moment. It's a pretty anxious time. What would be the, the first thing you'd sort of say to someone around, you know, the act Principles and how would you get someone started to say, look, you don't have a disorder, here we go.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, psychological suffering is normal. That's one of the key uh, messages in the ACT approach. We're all going to struggle. We're all going to deal with difficult stuff in life. If you live a a full human life, you're going to feel the full range of human emotions, not just the ones that feel good. You're going to have anger and sadness and anxiety and loneliness and all that kind of stuff. Um life is difficult. It's full of challenges. I don't know anybody who's just so blissfully happy, they want a bit more difficulty in their life. And when, you know, difficult challenges show up, they bring lots of difficult thoughts and feelings with them so it's completely normal to have difficult emotions difficult thoughts and feelings showing up and to be struggling with life you know then you know hopefully there's periods of life where there's less of that but if uh, if you're going to live a full human life you're going to experience uh, you know injury and illness and career challenges and health challenges and relationship issues and face the death of loved ones and your own death i mean there's life is bloody hard right so Psychological suffering is normal. Pain is normal, and if, if you can just start from that point, because if you're coming from the point there's something wrong with me or abnormal because I'm having negative thoughts or painful emotions, that's immediately putting you into a worse place. You're going to struggle with this very normal part of being human.
0: The the I'm 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 having thoughts, right? And like I said to you, I'm not I'm not my emotions i'm not my so if you're feeling anxious uh when you're talking about act you just acknowledge it just i I talk about sitting with my emotions so you just acknowledge and go
1: yeah yeah you sit sit with it that's a nice way sit with it you make friends with it you know it's kind of like uh uh, i'm feeling anxious having this interview with you like i mean i have done hundreds possibly even thousands of interviews uh you know my so much of my work is public speaking and yet Whenever I have to do something like this or choose to do something like this, I always get anxious. You know, my my hands are actually, uh, you know, and I'm not sure if you can see on the camera, but they're slightly, slightly sweaty right now. Mm -hmm. Um, This is this is mild for me when I'm talking in front of a big audience. My hands are literally dripping with sweat and and I kind of it's like this is. This is anxiety. This is my companion. This is my body telling me that I'm stepping out of my comfort zone into a a challenging situation. There's a certain degree of uncertainty. I don't know how this is going to go. And, you know, you're, you're, you're very personable and you're making this a very safe space. And I know we can also edit the interview. But still, you know, there's anxiety comes with facing up to challenges and uh so it's uh, it's completely normal emotion you know but if I started saying oh my god anxiety is bad I mustn't feel anxious I mustn't feel anxious oh no you know now I'm going to have anxiety about my anxiety and and this is what causes panic attacks anxiety about anxiety oh no here's anxiety again and and, oh no now it's getting bigger oh what does this mean And, and so you get layers upon layers upon layers so Act is very effective with panic attacks. And its first step is just learning to recognize that anxiety is a normal emotion. It's not a sign of something wrong with you or something bad about to happen to you.
0: Is that what you call the, the diffusion technique? You just go, wow, okay, there's what it is
1: diffusion techniques usually, uh, so, you know, diffusion is short for cognitive diffusion, cognitive being a big word for thoughts. Uh, and it really means kind of learning to, to take the power and impact out of your thoughts to see their true nature, that they're basically words and pictures popping up in your head. And uh, when you can see the true nature of your thoughts, that they're words and pictures, then you've got a choice about how you respond to them. If, they're, if they've got something useful in them, uh, that you can make good use of, then then obviously use that. But if it's just your mind churning out the same old stuff, worry, 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 all the things that are wrong with me or the world or other people, then you can kind of go, well, there's probably not that much of use in there, and you can just learn to let those thoughts kind of flow through you uh, uh, rather than getting swept away by them or pushed around by them.
0: It was it was really interesting because what I loved about the confidence gap was. The, the the first, you know, sort of the beginning of the book, you, you sort of lay, you lay, you lay into other books that are that are sort of those short-term rah-rah books. And I sort of talk about how sometimes you go to a conference and it's one of my pet hates. You go to a conference and like, yeah, I love that, mate. You know, that was awesome. And and then by Monday you're back to your old shitty routine. So, <laughs> you know, it's actually about it's actually about um, you know making long-term change. And I think that's that's really, really important because you can feel good on a on a short-term basis, but it's actually more about um, long-term stuff. And it's really interesting when I was reading your book, I, I think it would help parenting as well, because you know, when I was growing up, they told me to, you know, especially with sport to block out the emotions right you should be able to block them out you know you should hide them you should whatever but when I'm reading your book you're saying the opposite's actually better you know just bring them yeah. with you wish I had that 30 years ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well it's interesting I mean I know I, I don't know about other countries but certainly in, in Australia lots of the sports psychologists are latching onto this now and so kind of act is certainly the the hot new kid on the block in sports psychology here uh, did a, a a nice kind of um, workshop with some of our top uh, olympic coaches last year and they were like yes 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 really embracing it so I, I get a sense at least in australia some of that old school sports mentality is starting to change i don't know if it's the same in new zealand
0: I haven't heard a lot, but I'm not, I'm not that involved in, in the sports side of stuff anymore, but I'm certainly involved in the in the normal world stuff. And I haven't heard as much as as, as what I, you know, what I, I, I spoke to someone the other day about it and they said, yeah, yeah, no, that's, you know, that's really a good um, therapy to do. And so I've, I've just started to dig into it, but I love it straight away. The other, the other interesting thing um, for me is, you know, when I was, when I was, unwell um, I went to my psychiatrist and people will know this story so I'll make it very brief she said would I like to try self-hypnosis and I did but anyway I went surfing blah 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 and when I did it with her it was fantastic and when I did it at home by myself there were four sharks in the water (laughs) And, and I shat myself and got out of the water mentally but I went back to her and I said what was that all about and she said JK they were your sharks you need to um, talk to them get the teeth out of them get out of the water so I'd often talk about my sharks but my one of my sharks was um you know my I felt dumb I left school at 15 not being educated so I was carrying that dumb shark with me but the interesting thing uh and something that I, that I'd like to talk to you about is like my dumb shark if you get chased by a shark you're gonna swim pretty fast right and, and so some of my sharks were actually motivating me to prove people wrong. But then when I actually achieved something, they started eating me, right? Um, so is that a positive and negative? How would, you, how would you talk to someone about saying, okay, recognize your fear? Because my fear was I didn't want to be exposed as a dumbass, right? Um, but that was also <laughs> motivating me to go, well, actually, I'll show you that I'm not dumb. There was this, this contrast in your head that's hard to talk about and hard to understand.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a great question. Um, uh, Because, you know, so often, what motivates us is those fears, you know, Uh, and of course, fear of being a dumbass is really fear of rejection by others. Uh, I'm not going to belong to the group, they're going to judge me, they won't like me, they won't want me. And that's a that's a primordial fear. You know, if, if you go back to caveman days, then you had to fit in with your group. If your group kicked you out, you're not going to live very long. You're going to get eaten by wolves or bears, you know. So we all have this innate uh, need to belong to the group. And so these kind of sharks, you know, there's there's usually a message there, you know, you can't come across as a dumbass. Uh, uh, no one will like you. They'll kick you out. They'll reject you, you know. And, and, and so that can be very motivating, but it's not... Um, it's not a very uh, um, a vital form of motivation. If, um, if I can uh, switch metaphors, you've, you've got a pet donkey, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And your donkey carries the load to market every Saturday for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And you know, there's two ways to motivate that donkey. You can motivate it with a stick. You whack it with a stick. It carries your load. Um, or you can motivate it with a carrot. Uh, you know, it carries the load. You give it a carrot. And over time, um if you continually motivate your donkey with sticks you end up with a battered bruised miserable depressed donkey but if you continually motivate your donkey with carrots you end up with a really healthy happy donkey with really good night vision right Uh, um and and so kind of like motivating ourselves with our fears and our judgments and you know i'm a dumbass and i'm not good enough uh, if that's our motivation it 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 may motivate us but the long term it's going to drain us whereas We've got something much more powerful than carrots to motivate us. And it's this word that you and I keep mentioning here, values. Mm -hmm. Values are such a powerful motivator. um, And they come from deep within. It's not kind of fear-driven. It's about who I really want to be deep inside and what I really want to do with my brief time on this planet.
0: It's really interesting. So um, for me, what often surprises me is the, the amount of people that don't actually sit down. And come up with their values or feel what their values are. So what would your be advice? What would your advice be to be someone to say, right, doesn't matter how old or where you are in life, the first place you need to start is actually deciding what your values are. Because um, there would be a perception that you are you are a product of your parents or of your background or whatever. That when I'm reading your stuff is not completely true. I could choose right now a whole set of values. How, how does that work?
1: That's right. Yeah. You know, values are personally chosen. So you're absolutely right there. You know, your your family and your upbringing and your culture and your religion, all of these are influences on you. But ultimately, it's kind of deep in my heart. What sort of person do I want to be? How do I want to treat myself and others? the world around me if i could be the person i really wanted to be and and this is a, a an alien uh, conversation for most people you know uh, most common thing uh, w- when i uh, you know have new clients they've uh, they've never he- you know the only time they've heard the word values used is by shonky politicians you know are <laughs> valued, yeah. uh, uh, it's not it's not an everyday word and, and when it is in an everyday conversation it's often misunderstood so I think the easiest way to to start tuning into your values is just to kind of think about the most one of your most important relationships, say as a as a parent or a partner or or your your close friend uh, and just think about when you're at the best in that relationship when you're being the best partner or parent or friend. And think of yourself when you're at the worst in that relationship, when you're the worst, most awful friend or partner or parent. You know, the, 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 yeah. the things you say and do that you would hate to be videoed and shown on Facebook uh, and the things you say and do when you're at your best that you would love to be videoed as a, an example of the sort of person you are. And that's going to pretty much nail it for you when you see the, the bad stuff you do and you go, oh, that's that's not what I want to be about, then you ask yourself, okay, so what do I want to be about instead? And when you see the good stuff, you can look at yourself and go, so what qualities am I putting into the relationship? Am I being loving, open, honest, you know, playful, sensual, interested, supportive? What are the qualities that I'm bringing into play in this relationship when I'm at my best? And that's a a really good place to start.
0: One of the, one of the, Things that my my beautiful dad said is that um, you know you need to you need to have a workplace where you can be your authentic self. And I think um, through the industrial age and through the last you know there's this perception about work. I think there's two problems mentally right now. We don't take our authentic self to work, firstly, and secondly, we we feel a lot of guilt around. You know, you might work ten hours because you because you're actually Answering emails at ten o'clock, but you feel guilty about not going to work the next day. So, how do we? And, and I understand those values, but how do we? How do you create values in a workplace? Do you think where you have a where you want communal goals? Are they different, or can you use the same analog, an analogy? Where you go, yeah, okay, let's think about what a beautiful workplace would look like.
1: Well. It- Uh, one thing's for sure it's not a quick fix um i i i despair at these kind of you know companies in australia that get someone in and they say oh let's do a bit of work on our values and they they you know do a bit of brainstorm and they kind of come up with a list of values and then uh, that's not going to change anything you know it 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 requires real kind of commitment from the workplace that we want to make this a place where people can live their values And it also requires interest from the workers, which you'll almost universally get if they know that the workplace is on board with this. So it's not an easy or quick fix. Um, I've forgotten the question. What was the question?
0: Just about creating. So how would you go? You just explained to me how you create it as a person. How would you think about creating it and values in the workplace? Yeah,
1: so, you know, when I've... um, when I've when I've gone into workplaces and given them some act it, in the workplace, we call it acceptance and commitment training, because uh, you're not allowed to use the word therapy in a workplace because, you know, obviously everybody in the workplace is so well adjusted. No one needs therapy. You know, it's a, it's, almost <laughs> a, <laughs> it's a, a dirty word. Why now? Uh, On the couch. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, um what uh, what I've found uh, is is really, uh, again, the, the sort of exercises that, that I just mentioned, uh, what, when are you at your best at work, how are you treating yourself, how are you treating other people, how are you treating the tasks, when you're at your best, and how are you doing it when you're at your worst? Um, and almost always, that's going to reveal you know, what I really want to be about in this job, um, that you know that the empowering thing about values is actually even if your job is shitty, you can still live your values. You, you know, you, you might have a, a job that you really don't like, uh, uh, and maybe it's a job that you need to put money on the table for certain things, but you can still go, well, I'm I'm going to be the person who I want to be in the way that I look after myself and the way that I interact with other people in the workplace. And on that note, I, I, I always warn when a company brings me in, I always warn them that, You know, some people may resign after this workshop if you've got an employee and they decide that actually this workplace is not right for them when they really get in touch with their values and when they learn how to take the, you know, a lot of people stay in a dissatisfying job because of fear and anxiety. And when they learn act skills to take the power out of that fear and the anxiety so that it, it no longer holds them back. Then they're often, um, you know, all right. Well, I'm actually going to do what I really want to do. Uh, and so, um, <laughs> one organization, after, <laughs> one organization after my workshop, the CEO uh, resigned. Can you believe yeah. it? Oh, so, um, uh, I'm not not selling my services very well here. But
0: uh, <laughs> I, think, I, I actually think that's genius, and it, and it's achieved what it should achieve because. The, the workplace is not going to be great if someone's there because they're not aligned. Did, yeah. did you get any? Did you get any? Um, you know. Brief well, the, about... but... <laughs> no, you no, to, no. Did but... you have to use act to deal with the criticism? Or...
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the CEO resigned because he just realised that his family was so important to him. And that there was no way he could do this job and also raise his young children and see his wife. And, you know, he's he'd just been struggling with this for years. And he's like, oh, I've got to do something now. I've got to, you know, uh, he just that there's more to life than money and power and status. You know, there's lots of other things that he could do that would also allow him to, you know, see his family.
0: Which is similar to your story, because when I read about your story, and this is probably coming into my next question, you're a GP um, and you were finding that more and more people were turning up and in your 15-minute or 20-minute consultation, you're spending, you know, 19 minutes talking about mental health and then one minute talking about physical health. Um, This is a really important one for me because our GPs are still our first line of defense against suicide and depression. Um, You know, what sort of advice would you give yourself now that you've moved into this space but if you're a gp how, how do we help them help the people that are coming
1: yeah well so if i can just add you know what as a as a young gp i, I was very depressed and very anxious and i was uh Uh, Luckily, I wasn't kind of relying on drink. Uh, What I was relying on was uh, a a type of Australian biscuit called a a, a double-coated chocolate Tim Tam. Uh, I don't know if you've got them. Have you got them, though? Yeah.
0: Was it it dark chocolate or was it light chocolate?
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, light chocolate, yeah. And so I I would just eat these chocolate Tim Tams all day long. You know, uh, there's like nine of them in a packet, and I'd be eating about five packets a day. Uh, and just it, you know because I was just constant bundle of nerves and anxiety as a gp uh, again my story I'm not good enough I don't know what I'm doing I might miss something I might kill someone and so it's just constantly anxious and you know I'd, I'd put the chocolate <laughs> biscuit in my mouth and and for a you know a minute the anxiety would go away but of course then it would just come back so I was hugely overweight i mean i, I weighed i was 25, and I weigh 20 kilograms more than I do today. So I, I weigh 82 kilograms today. So, um, and and I was miserable, you know, and I couldn't understand it because hey, I was a doctor, and you know, I had this great job, and society says that if you've got a great job and you've got status, then you should be happy. So, um, I started exploring why I was so depressed and anxious, and uh, you know, I did get suicidal at times, you know, uh, and. Uh, And that led me into kind of therapy, which eventually led me to kind of realize that I was much more interested in psychological health than physical health. So uh, this is a a long long way of getting back to your answer. But, But what happened was as my GP consultations got longer and longer and longer and much more focused on psychological health, My income went down and down and down uh, because the I don't know if it's the same in New Zealand, but the Australian system, the most money you earn as a GP is when you do many short consultations and the least money you earn is when you do a few long ones. So um, and and then I kind of thought, well, why am I even staying as a GP? I, I, you know, it's the therapy that interests me. And I I then changed and became a, a full time therapist. And, and so my income ended up a quarter of what I'd been earning as a GP. Wow. So my you know, income plummeted, but my satisfaction, uh, my life satisfaction went up enormously. Um, so, again, that whole thing that money doesn't buy you happiness. So um,
0: uh, there's fear. I mean, it's really interesting. So, did you learning at help you deal with that fear? Because, like retrospectively, you can say you were you are satisfied, right? But at the time, you're thinking, you know, if I go down this other path, I might miss the money. I might, you know. So, how did you deal with the fear?
1: Uh, Yes, ACT was certainly very helpful for me, Um, you know, and uh, and like you, you know, I I did CBT before ACT, you know, it's kind of uh, so I got a a lot of time for CBT. I I just think that ACT goes. I, I really think ACT is a lot easier for people to do. It's actually, as you said, it's quite hard work to get in there and try and challenge difficult thoughts and dispute them and prove them false and so forth. So, yeah, uh, you know, ACT was very helpful for me. And uh, again, it gave me a way of of doing therapy with others that just felt very genuine, very real, no bullshit. It's not, none of this kind of, you know, think positive, don't worry, feel happy. None of that kind of stuff. It's like life is difficult. And, you know, our aim here is you and me, we're going to work together as a team to help you build a better life and deal with all the shit that goes with it, you know. Um, and so, the
0: emotions, the emotions do pass, though, Russ, don't they? That's what I say to people. If you do sit with them and don't judge them, they do pass.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and, and it's really interesting. I don't know. I don't know how you were brought up, uh, and this is no one's fault. But you know, if we weren't, if I wasn't happy when I was young, I say you've got nothing to be unhappy about, you know, or when you're angry. Don't be angry, you know. So ooh, you don't. So right. when you're happy, you're waiting for it to be sad, and when you're angry, you're, you're feeling, you know, guilty about those emotions
1: yeah exactly exactly and i mean young people are bombarded with those messages aren't they you know don't worry be happy you know uh, there's plenty more fish in the sea you know there's no use crying over spilt milk cheer up it may never happen you know it's uh they don't get the message that it's it's normal to have painful emotions and negative thoughts you know and the other thing is that young people are are surrounded by parents and teachers telling them to think positively and have high self-esteem so there's there's no sense that, you know, it's actually completely normal to have those not good enough stories and self-judgments, you know. Um, and I,
0: I think giving people the acceptance to feel away is a release in itself. I don't beat myself up anymore about how I feel like I used to. Um, and I think just, you know, reading a lot of the stuff that you did, it really resonates because you know, I'll keep coming back to this people if you're listening. You know, you're not your emotions, you're your values. That has been fundamental for me just in the last little while since I've sort of read Russ's stuff. And it, it, it's a lot easier. It is a lot easier, like you say. I'm not battling to say anything to myself except it will pass. Interesting. Another interesting one, I talk to a lot of people um, who are relatively well, but they can't get rid of guilt. Yeah. How, how is that the same technique? How Because guilt seems to be, from what I can discover, um, and I'm no different, a a bit deeper than, and you come come back and you say, well, yeah, guilt, but is that that a mix, but is it hard to get rid of because it's a mix between emotions and a value?
1: Yeah, well, you know, rather than uh, uh, trying to get rid of it, what we'd say is kind of make peace with it and take from it what's useful. So guilt's always pointing you towards your values in some way whatever you're feeling guilty about Uh, if you're feeling guilty about people starving in Africa okay so how can I what value is that telling me that there's about a value of caring and wanting to help so how can I translate that into action if you're feeling guilty because you yelled at your kids okay so what's that telling me about the sort of parent I want to be and how can I translate those values into actions as for the actual uh, emotion of guilt. Well, there's kind of two components. There's the the cognitive stuff, your mind saying, you know, yeah, you, you screwed up, you did it wrong, or you're not doing enough, and and then there's the the physical components in your body, where that knots in the stomach or tightness in the chest or whatever it is. So. You learn how to open up and make room for the physical stuff and just kind of sit with it, let it be there. And you learn how to, I often use the term unhook. You learn how to unhook from the cognitive stuff. These these thoughts tend to hook us and pull us out of our life, but you can learn to unhook from them and say, okay, here's my mind telling me that story again. Oh, okay, here's the not good enough story. Or here's the you have to do more story. Okay, thanks mind. And I'm going to tune into my values and do something constructive here. So it's about making Making room for the guilt and taking out of it what's useful and translating that into effective action
0: the uh the happiness trap so you know you've just spoken to me you're a 20 kilo tim tam smasher of a doctor um <laughs> did you dunk them in the tea by the way and suck the chocolate out of the middle did you do that uh, one
1: yeah 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 yeah
0: no, 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 no. um but over a million copies sold of The Happiness Trap, and you've got a brand new second edition coming out. For those of us that aren't familiar with the book, it stated, Free Yourself from Depression, Anxiety, and Insecurity. Instead, build a rich, meaningful life uh, with the world's best-selling guide to acceptance and commitment therapy. I, I mean, I haven't read this book. I apologize, mate. I, I loved um, you know, The Confidence Gap. I've always told a whole lot of people to read it. So, Tell me about the second edition. That must have been an interesting journey in itself, and the emotion of having a book that sold a million copies. You know, yeah, yeah. from smashing four packets of Tim Tams.
1: (laughs) It uh, it doesn't seem real. It seems uh, surreal. It's actually got uh, an interesting connection with New Zealand, the uh, the happiness trap, because the original book got rejected by every single publisher in Australia. Um, and then this uh, this small uh, New Zealand publishing house called Exile Publishing uh, picked it up and ran with it, and so uh, <laughs> they're very happy with it as am I. Um, so, um, so I can't believe it, it's it's reached that many people. I mean, uh, <laughs> after after all those rejections, I was at the point of I'm going to have to publish this myself or something. Um, <laughs> um so yeah I I wasn't expecting it it's it's been a the second edition I, I thought it, it's almost it's 14 years since the first edition and I was expecting it to just be a, a little rewrite job just a few minor changes but when I started looking at the book it was like oh oh wow there's so much I needed to change uh I've changed so much in the way that I think about this stuff and teach this stuff and write about this stuff and so it turned into a a massive rewrite it's actually more than 50 percent new material for this edition uh compared to the first um, that,
0: that's amazing what was what was the one what was the one thing that you've grown from so one of the the, the key things in the book where you've actually it was obviously great because you sold a thousand copies, helped a million of people that's amazing but what was the thing that you thought wow you know i can actually I can actually make this better. What was the most your favorite? One? Oh.
1: Yeah. Um I'm so glad you asked. It is a, a self-compassion, the the ability to acknowledge our pain and suffering and be there for ourselves in a really kind and supportive way because in the first edition that was kind of touched on and hovering in the background and it was kind of, you know, infused throughout the book, but it wasn't really explicit. Uh, And a lot of people have incredible difficulty being self-compassionate. So um, it's not an easy thing to do if you've got a deeply entrenched pathway of self-judgment, self-hatred, self-criticism. So in this edition, that's kind of like center stage and all the barriers to it and how you overcome the barriers and what it actually means and how you apply it to your life. Because life is difficult and it is painful and You mentioned earlier that you've learned to stop beating yourself up, you know, that took practice, I'll bet our default setting is we do beat ourselves up, which just makes everything so much worse. So to to actually learn how to acknowledge our pain and be there in a kind way for ourselves is is a such a powerful life enhancing skill um, and a big step outside the comfort zone for a lot of people.
0: How do you how do you start? So how do you like, because the, I think that like, and, and people should obviously, um, you know, read the confidence gap as well. But like, you know, like I spoke about before in the beginning of the books, we get told and, and every time you go to some of these health self help things, it feels like such a massive effort right? And sure, you've done 200 million other courses and they've all failed. So by the time you get to the very, very end, you're sort of going, oh, here we go again. So how do you actually start and get that? And I know you talk about hooks and that sort of stuff. How do you start um, if I was like that? What's the easiest thing for me to do? Get that little joy. We talk about it. I mean, I'm really good at it now. I have to work really hard. at We talk about it men to me. Be kind to yourself first and then be kind to others. So how do you actually just start and get that because I say to people, if you get a little kick from it, you know the adrenaline you get from when you when you go for a run, right, or do something physical. If you can get that and acknowledge it, then you'll you'll have the 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 bait to do something else.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I, I think the the starting point is recognizing that self judgment, self criticism, beating yourself up actually is not helping. That's the starting point because uh, we all have a tendency to do it. And uh, and sometimes people, they'll resist that. They'll say, Russ, you know, beating myself up, that motivates me. I won't do anything. And so then I tell them the story about the donkey with the carrot and the stick. Yeah, you know, beat yourself up. It works. But you, you tell me, is your life rich and full and meaningful? Are you feeling depressed, burnt out? You know, it's uh, so beating yourself up. It, it's not going to stop just because we've had this conversation. But recognize it. Ah, here's the not good enough story. Here's here's my mind beating me up. Oh, there you go again. And a kind of sense of, if you can, this, this usually sounds a bit weird when people first hear it, but the idea of thanking your mind. So it's like... Uh, okay, thanks mind, I, I know you're beating me up and calling me names and giving me a hard time, I, but I, I know you're doing that because you just want me to kind of do better or succeed more or you're trying to push me towards doing things that are important. And it's okay, I, I hear what you're saying and I've got this handled. Uh, so it's kind of just learning to notice and name that harsh negative uh, repertoire and see the purpose underlying it. It is, it is your mind just being an, an ultra harsh old school coach um uh, and recognizing that if you go along with that it's not going to help you in the long term and then the next point then is as you said it's like ask yourself what's a little way that i can be kind to myself And again, sometimes at this point, people say, oh, I don't deserve kindness or, you know, that's a bit girly, isn't it? Or, you know, this is a bit new age hippie or, you know, I've got to be tough on myself. But uh, if you can get past those barriers and just start looking at little ways to be kind to yourself, even if it's even if it's just saying the phrase. Be kind to yourself, even that's a start, you know, and I I ask people, you know, what what would you say to a friend who was going through something similar, who was suffering, struggling like you, uh, under similar circumstances, if you wanted to be the best friend that you could be, what would you say to them? Would you say, "Yeah, suck it up, stop whinging, get on with it, yeah, loser"? Blah, blah, blah. No, I wouldn't. You know what would you say? Uh, and that's a, a a good way of starting to find your own kind of um, kind self-talk. Speak to yourself the way that you would to others.
0: Um, you're just starting to get some freedom um, in Melbourne, Russ. We are we are 13 or 14 weeks into lockdown now. Um, what were some of the things, techniques you used to, to get yourself through when things were pretty tough over there? Because I know that a lot of us are suffering from COVID fatigue and those that are not in lockdown are suffering because businesses, you know, we're not completely open yet. So mm-hmm. how would ACT act? Sorry, I nearly said it. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Steve. <You know. laughs> how, what what are some of the things that you would have said to yourself during the lockdown yeah. got tough?
1: Well, I mean, I guess one part of it was recognizing that uh, compared to many people, I was very privileged in that I was locked in with a loving partner and my son who, uh, you know, um, he's just about to turn 16 and uh, we kind of live near a river so we were able to go and walk along the river for an hour every day so we were kind of you know compared to somebody who was locked down all by themselves or separated from their partner or their kids uh, or stuck in a kind of urban concrete jungle we were we were very uh, lucky so I guess You know, anybody who's got any of those kind of privileges, that would be a good thing to start recognizing. You know, gosh, I'm so much better off than so many other people. Um, uh, And also the thing about your job, you know, knowing that I still had an income as opposed to all the people who lost their jobs and couldn't work. So that was one part of it. Um, And I think another part of it was just learning to really appreciate. What we have, like, you know, so often, as I say, I'm five minutes from from the River Yarra, which runs through Melbourne, and so often I kind of take it for granted. But during that lockdown, I think we were locked down for 250 days in total. Um, I really got to appreciate that river and watching the trees and how they changed and noticing all these little plants that I'd never noticed before. And, you know, it was like, wow, this is such a, a you know, that's, so that sense of moving from taking things for granted to really appreciating what you have in your life, which is something I, I tried to do anyway. Uh, but it went a whole level further with those kind of river walks. It was, uh, um, and I think the third thing was just having that little um, uh, compassionate, self-compassionate mantra, you know. Which uh, for me is, uh, you know, everyone can create their own little mantra, but for me, I just keep it simple. I just say, "This hurts. Be kind."
0: Beautiful. At Mentamia, we have six pillars of well-being. We've always loved to hear our guests take care of themselves. I call it my daily mental health plan. We know through science that the six pillars, if you put them in your day, um, you know you, you, you will be better and we're trying to find the ultimate recipe for a great life a life well lived um, I'm certainly gonna make act and I'm gonna do a whole lot of learning and I know that you've got courses if people want to jump online and, and sign up but, you know like I, I talk about the psychological help we need for the modern world just to live a good life so but I want to ask you what do you do to chill so what do you do to relax and calm your mind and to be present
1: uh, well, I've got two quite different ways of doing it. So one is going for long walks in nature. I mean, that's the ultimate for me. Um, but the other is kind of immersing myself in really uh, a gripping book or, um, yeah, not, uh, that can be fiction or nonfiction. So either losing myself in a book or Uh, But that's, you know, a more cognitive process. I'm actually, uh, you know, lost in this story or lost in this, you know, uh, amazing bit of research. Um, uh, Whereas walking in nature is more like emptying my head. I'm just kind of being one with the, uh, uh, you know, the trees and the river and the birds.
0: How do you connect? What do you do for social connection?
1: Uh, Well, I love, uh, I'm very touchy-feely, so um, I'm always kind of, and it's a great, it's fantastic for me that my my son, even though he's just about to turn 16 and he's kind of, you know, experimenting with all these kind of manly behaviours, is still kind of really into hugging and is kind of, uh, uh, yeah, my partner Tash and I, so we're very tactile um I, and i you know I, I, mean, I love spending time with my family spending time with my friends um a lot of our uh, connection outside of the family revolves around food um which i really enjoy uh so you know hey
0: brother, that's me so what do you do what do you do to be creative a hobby or what are you learning that is new
1: yeah so uh, i i do cartooning and drawing and uh I'm currently um, dabbling with a novel, kind of sci-fi Ooh. thriller. It's, uh, nice. it's, a, it's a lot harder than writing self-help books, I can tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about Move? What do you do to keep active besides the walking? Anything else?
1: uh the yeah the gym's my main thing um i kind of work out with a, a personal trainer three times a week so uh i might you know it's fine. I'm, I'm 55 i'm actually stronger than i've ever been in my life you know it's um uh because in my in my youth i really didn't do that much exercise and uh awesome. so it's kind of yeah it's nice to be uh strong
0: <laughs> how do you celebrate
1: oh um celebrate what just anything or anything something. yeah
0: so how do you foster a positive sense of self self compassion or, or finding fun i saw i sort of call it congratulations to me you know it might ah. be whatever whatever
1: yeah oh uh, well you know um f- through uh i guess uh, i actually do kind of formal self-compassion exercises to uh right. you know be kind to of myself but in, in terms of celebrating life uh, i guess it's probably all the things food. i've just mentioned is it's nature it's it's books food. it's eating food yeah
0: um what do you enjoy so what do you do for self-care and things that you look forward to in your for, day
1: for like fun you mean or yeah just just yeah. what
0: do you enjoy just just for self-care just for you no one else just something that you just like doing
1: uh well uh, playing with the dog uh i uh, i spend so much time playing with the dog she's a, a labradoodle and
0: oh beautiful um,
1: uh and um I also, uh, I love reading comics uh, and uh, well the technical name for them is graphic novels because uh, comics sounds too childlike, but um, I love, uh, I'm always reading uh, graphic novels, kind of, you know, sometimes Marvel, like uh, the Avengers and stuff, but sometimes more sci-fi comics. So, um, yeah.
0: Beautiful. Okay, quick fire. So as we finish this off, who do you admire for having great habits and behaviors around well and what do they do um, <laughs>
1: uh well i i my my partner actually my partner natasha she right. uh, is always uh She's always keeping fit through dancing, through gym, through uh, Pilates. She's got a fantastic diet. My my diet has improved so much through living with her. We've been together for eight years now, and uh, it was, uh, I, 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 as you can probably tell, I've always kind of had struggles with food and tending to go for the dodgy stuff and put on weight. But she's uh, she's been marvelous. So uh, she's. Um, so yeah, I really admire her lifestyle, and she practices all the act stuff and the mindfulness stuff too. So, um, she's very self disciplined. What are you reading? Uh, I'm reading a fantastic book at the moment, uh, called Humankind uh, by Rutger Bregman. Humankind, uh, and it is his hypothesis is basically that although we're bombarded by the idea that humans are evil and bad and so forth, that basically deep inside ourselves, we're basically good. And if you create the right environment, human goodness is going to dominate. And he presents all of this from a really uh, scientific uh, perspective with lots of research backing it up. So um, I highly recommend it. Humankind, Rutger Bregman.
0: Awesome. What podcast are you listening to or do you listen to podcasts?
1: Yeah. uh, So I'm listening to uh, my my favorite podcast at the moment is called On Being by Krista Tippett. She's an American journalist and she uh, interviews such a wide range of people about meaning and purpose and what life is all about from, you know, from rabbis and priests to astrophysicists to writers to singers. It's so interesting.
0: Wow, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that one. Uh, what keeps you awake at night?
1: Uh, my son, <laughs> uh, you know, now that he's approaching sixteen, uh, I have yeah. lots of worries yeah. about yeah. what's he getting up to, and you know, outside of school, and when he goes to parties, and blah
0: blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is an open mind?
1: I think an open mind is. Uh, is a mind. I am biased, of course, by the ACT model, but I think it's a mind that's able to uh, pay attention with openness and curious curiosity to what's going on, and at the same time tune into value. And gone is uh, has got um, is linked and aligned with your values in some way.
0: Mm. Who should I interview next?
1: Rutger Bregman, me author yeah. of *Humankind*. <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to get him. I'm
0: going to get him. Do you Do you have any um, last messages for our listeners? Uh,
1: basically, that you know, life is tough. Life is difficult. Uh, so, whether you're in lockdown as you're listening to this, or whether it's sometime later you're listening to this, you know, there's there's going to be no shortages of uh, of, of difficulty in your life. So. Uh, I think uh, if you're going to live a full human life, it's about learning to make room for the full range of human emotions, not just the ones that feel good.
0: That's awesome, Russ. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, um, I just want to thank you because um, I've started implementing some of the things from the confidence gap. Um, I am, I'm an avid reader and I'm just so looking forward to your, to your other books can't believe I haven't heard of ACT as much as what I should. So I'm now a believer, now a follower, and I know that all the listeners out there, buy the books, um, buy the second edition. that's out, I think, in New Zealand today. But also, if you want to do some courses, um, I know you've got heaps of online stuff, so just look you up, I guess, would be the best way to do it, eh? Just put your name in and go, go to your website and into it.
1: Yeah, well, if, if you're the general public, the website is happinesstrap.com Easy to remember. Yep. If you're a health professional uh, um, and you're wanting to do some of the courses for health professionals, then uh, go to psychwire.com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for, for your time. It's been amazing. Loved it. The hour absolutely flew by. Uh, and thanks for sharing mate. And let's hope we can meet in public soon. Yep.
1: Yeah, it would be great. It would be great. But it did fly by. Thanks very much. That was a very uh, enjoyable interview. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Open Minded. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe. This podcast is everywhere you get your podcasts, so make sure you do that. I don't need to tell you how, and then you'll get my new episode straight away. And if you can leave a review, tell everyone you know about it, it'd be awesome. If you could help spread the word about the show, thanks. But also, I'd love to get your feedback. You know, I'm new to this. I want to get better and I want to know what you want to know about mental well-being. So please reach out to us and thanks and I'll see you all soon.